0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams, the podcast where we talk about the movies we love and the monsters we all face. I'm your host, David Anderson, and today is October 12th, 2020. A Course in Fearicals, Day 12. October 12th, hard to believe we're almost, almost... At the halfway mark But you know what? I'm going to pivot Instead of lamenting the fact That it's all going by too fast I'm going to affirm That we're just getting started We're just getting to the good part Really working up A good Halloween head of steam I'm really loving the process And intentionality Of showing up here every day Who knows? Maybe we'll keep going after Halloween As we transition into the other holidays Which I also love For those of you who've reached out to me And those of you who haven't If you're here with me every day, I really appreciate it. And I consider this a conversation, even if I'm the only one talking. And I'm talking to you. So... When I first decided I was going to commit to this kind of Halloween advent calendar deal, my initial way of going about it was to kind of wrestle it to the ground because that's how I usually approach things. One of my challenges is feeling like I need to know or figure everything out ahead of time and also that things have to be important and perfect. So it's no wonder that I sometimes have trouble getting creative projects off the ground. A lot of times a bright, shiny idea can be delivered to you, right? But if you don't tend to the idea and nurture it in just the right way, it can start to feel like work and lose its luster, that sense of vitality that the initial inspiration brings to you. So I wanted to stay tapped into that and keep this whole thing fun with no expectations, just to show up every day to celebrate and revel in the things that I love with you. Not only because of course this year looks different, but I've kind of had a lot of disappointment and frustration around the expectations that I placed on Halloween and myself and making things and making things happen and forging a career and being creatively fulfilled. It all just started to be going the wrong direction. So one of the things I was and am hoping to do with these 31 days is to reignite my love and passion for Halloween and just make it fun and to kind of do whatever and talk about whatever I want and trust that maybe it'll connect with someone out there. Initially, I was like, oh, I'm going to map out an editorial calendar and I'm going to know exactly what I'm doing on each day. And I did get a big wall calendar and post-its and I started listing topics and it immediately stopped being fun. But I was kind of intimidated by the idea of stepping on stage without a plan or without anything to say. But what better time of year is there to face our fears, right? That's what we do on this show, we hope, but especially at Halloween. So, I decided to throw any plan away and to just show up every day to see what would happen. I have no idea what I'm going to do or talk about until I get up and say, well, that sounds good. So, I'm giving myself permission to be messy, you can probably tell, and spontaneous and to just go with it. So, where are we going to go today? I don't know. Let's see. You know, recently I connected with someone who dyes garments for film and TV. Very specific, right? And I had no idea, naively, I guess, that there was such a demand for garment dyeing. For the most part, I would think you have a costume designer and wardrobe people, and they choose textiles and make or buy clothing. But apparently, there's a lot more involved than I knew, even on sitcoms. So I just love finding people who found their very specific niche, their zone of genius that is fulfilled. Filling to them and serves others and provides them with a livelihood for sure. That is what I'm striving for and hope to ultimately experience. I've been told over and over again, especially when I was really pursuing a way into the themed entertainment world, um, producing Halloween events. Well, that's way too specific. You're really limiting yourself. But you know what? If someone can make a living dying garments, there's got to be a way for me to find my version of that. But anyway, this delightful woman who I really just met provided me with the best Halloween care package ever. She presented me with a bucket marked blood, which is kind of everything I ever want in life anyway, and said, here, I dug out all the stuff I use for wounds and gore and crime scenes, and I've got dry blood and blood that stays wet and blood that looks really aged, and I'm going to send you home with it so that you can play with it. And I was beside myself. Oh, my God. God, you gave me the gift of blood. And I said to her, thank you. Thank you for intuiting that blood is one of my love languages. If you gave me an edible arrangement, well, I hate edible arrangements, but I'd know that you don't see me at all but lending me your bucket of blood, you see me. You really see me. And I was kind of kidding, but not really. I'll say blood or horror is one of my love languages. Horror and Halloween are very personal and intimate to me. And if I want to let someone in, That is one way that I do it, of course. Sharing things that are important to me, that are a part of me. And to someone else, it might seem crazy, but if I sit down to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street with you, that is true intimacy. Not everyone is worthy of that. I have a long history and relationship with this material that has helped me make sense of and navigate the world. And I don't necessarily need or expect you to understand that, but you do need to respect it. Several years ago, I had a friend say to me, I really don't get what all this stuff means to you. I don't like horror, but I kind of want to understand it better and talk to you about it. Can we watch some of these movies and talk about them? And I was like, does a chicken have a pecker? Uh, Yeah, we can. So I went to work writing a, I think it was like a 12-week course syllabus with cherry-picked films divided into different modules with corresponding reading to be done ahead of time so that we could discuss and then watch. So I presented her with this material and she was like, Uh, yeah. I just kind of wanted to watch a movie. So we met exactly one time, and that was it. The road to every book club is paved with good intentions. There's big enthusiasm at the onset. Then there's one meeting, and some white wine goes down, and it all falls apart. But again, recently, someone I was seeing was like, I'm still trying to figure out and get a sense of what all this means to you. I mean, isn't this just like pop culture and entertainment? And I was like, whoa. Oh, what do you mean just? Yeah, I guess, but isn't it also art? I get so sick of people disrespecting or dismissing the horror genre, not only because I think it is a more than legitimate art form, but because it is so deeply personal to me. And when it is slighted or shrugged off, I feel like that is a personal affront. But you know what? I'm not here to convince anyone of anything, believe it or not, or to plead a case. You get it or you don't, you relate to it or you don't, but this is how I engage with the world. Horror is my love language, and if I share it with you, that means something. I'm not expecting you to ever become fluent, but maybe you could do like a little Rosetta Stone so you can at least nod along while I'm talking. Then just watch Halloween with me while eating cookies and tell me I'm pretty, and everything will work out just fine. What is your love language? I know I'm not really using that term correctly, but what music or books or films do you share with people as a means of letting them in and sharing more of who you are and creating intimacy? And how have people responded? I want to talk more about this later, I think, especially if you've had a profound experience of something that's deeply personal to you that you shared with someone and they just didn't get it. And you were like, oh man. So that also has gotten me sort of looking back on my long storied history with Halloween and the horror genre, and why I've always responded to it so strongly. If you're here with me, that's probably an experience that you relate to, and I'd love to hear some of your memories of movies or whatever else you responded to, maybe as a kid that really resonated with you and offered you a window. I'd love it if you messaged me directly or commented on a post, but I'd also love to have you on the show for a conversation if there's something you want to talk about. I'm always, always perched at the front door, eagerly awaiting trick-or-treaters, so please Ring my doorbell. Come on in and we'll have a chat. So what was your horror gateway drug and what impact did it have on you? I've had several... I think. and There's also certain music that I credit with absolutely changing the course of my life, which is why I get so defensive, I guess, when people try to dismiss something as low art or just entertainment or just pop culture. Why are those pejoratives anyway, especially when it comes to horror, being transgressive and messy and maybe even schlocky, I say that as a term of endearment, outside of the mainstream. That's where you want to be especially if you're a queer kid, right? In a very real way, even if you're not exactly aware of how you're engaging with or responding to something, it's like, oh, There are people out there like me, and not only that, but when I said certain films or musicians gave me a window, I mean a window into another way of thinking and living and permission to imagine a kind of life that looked nothing like the one being modeled to me. Like, oh, there are other options. Thank God. There are other ways of thinking about the world and asking questions, and I think there's going to be a place for me, and I'm going to be okay. That is what these movies have meant to me, and to this day, when I want to relax or need to be comforted, I throw on a horror movie. That is meditation to me. When I'm at my lowest, when I'm really grappling with something, I usually throw on the last 10 minutes of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's how you all know I'm in trouble when I throw on Texas Chainsaw. And I'll sometimes watch it a couple times in a row. And it's not because I get any pleasure out of seeing someone tortured. It's quite the opposite. It's Cathartic, And in those final moments, I'm with Sally Hardesty or I am Sally Hardesty. She has found herself in an upside down world where morals and values and right and wrong do not exist. This crazy clan of men wants to control her body and she finds herself at the mercy of people doing things that just defy explanation and don't make any sense. And she rises up. She breaks free. And in some ways, she out crazies crazy. I love that. And it is so satisfying to me. I can't even tell you I am Sally in those moments when I feel like life is bludgeoning me with a mallet when I feel helpless and my own fear and insecurity or feelings of unworthiness are leering in my th- face and mocking my pain. Watching that sequence of chainsaw just helps me get to that place of, I've had enough. I'm not gonna lay down and surrender. I'm gonna crash through a window howling in defiance and hitch a ride in the back of a pickup truck away from all this bullshit. So don't tell me this is trash entertainment. This is self-care. This is therapy. I've always loved horror. For sure, for sure, for sure. We know that. But one of my first gateway experiences of it was Flowers in the Attic from 1987, the film adaptation of Flowers in the Attic. I don't remember or know how or why I first saw it at the tender age of eight, but I was obsessed with Flowers in the Attic. And so were my cousins. We watched it probably once a week for a good long stretch there. Couldn't get enough. And at the time, I didn't know that it was a book, I don't think, or a series of books. But when I was 10, I was talking to one of my sister's older friends who became my dealer. And she lent me her dog-eared copy of Petals on the Wind, the follow-up to Flowers in the Attic. And I was like, what? There is more to this story this Epic story. Where do I sign? I spent some fevered 10-year-old nights reading the entire series, and it blew my mind. It definitely felt like something I shouldn't be reading, and it was. And I was sort of riddled with guilt and anxiety the entire time. That's how I've always lived my life, I guess. Riddled with guilt and anxiety. I'd be perched on my bed, and I just knew that if my mom walked in, she'd be able to see through the book with her x-ray eyes and be like, what Filth, are you reading? (laughs) Because that's how she talked, I guess. Filth. So if I hear someone coming, no joke, I drop the book down between the side of my bed and the wall so I could be like, what, nothing? No incest or death or arsenic here. No, move it along. But what was it? What was I responding to? Aside from the kind of, you know, provocative forbidden fruit aspect, which is great. Well, flowers in the attic is a fairy tale of sorts, right? As I think most horror is, our hero or heroes descend into the dark woods to face a monster. You can pretty much sum up every good story that way, right? Joseph Campbell type stuff. And Flowers in the Attic is kind of a Hansel and Gretel story. These children are lured by their supposedly loving and doting mother to a place where they are not safe to be abused and punished by another maternal figure, grandmother who provides them with poison lace treats not unlike the witch and Hansel and Gretel and they ultimately escape from the witch's cottage but not before I don't know being boiled in a stew of burgeoning sexuality religious guilt grappling with their own identity being rejected by their family and breaking away to create a life that looks nothing like the one they had or even one that society approves of your mother has come home after 17 years to repent for her sins and for her crimes not only against your grandfather and me, but against God. Your mother's marriage was unholy, a sacrilege, an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. She did not fall from grace. She leapt into the arms of a man whose veins pulsed with the same blood as hers. Not a stranger, but her own uncle And you, the children, are the devil's spawn, evil from the moment of conception. Gee, I wonder what I was responding to when I was watching Flowers in the Attic over and over again at age eight. Even though I didn't know it at the time, that movie, And subsequently, the books were kind of preparing me for something I didn't even know was coming and helping me ask questions, contextualize my experience. And at the very least, it let me know that there was a bigger, stranger, far more interesting world out there than I knew. Oh, man. One of my dream jobs is still to be a V.C. Andrews ghostwriter. Also to be a ghost. Also to be a character in a V.C. Andrews book. One of the best things about those original releases of the books was the keyhole art, you know what I'm talking about? Where you'd open the cover and there'd be a creepy family portrait with an imposing authority figure kind of hanging over the children, so good. At some point, I wanna find an artist who can paint me into one of those portraits. But I'll tell you what, I've already come pretty close. I've mentioned to you before that I was quarantining with my parents initially. Recently, I've been kind of back and forth between my place and their place a lot more. But I was staying in my sister's old bedroom, which I lovingly refer to as the Pollyanna Suite. And I'm going to show you why. I'm going to share some pictures and video probably soon. But every morning when I exited the Pollyanna Suite, I would step right into my parents' portrait gallery composed of a series of photos of my sister and I throughout the year and they are a sight to behold they are like one tiny step away from bc andrew's dollenganger territory it was a very weird thing in the 80s in the valley anyone who was anyone went to this photographer to have their family portraits done. And he staged kind of oddly emotionless tableaus and put you in vaguely Victorian garb. It was just so, so weird. And why anyone, including my parents, thought it was a good idea is beyond me. But I guess it was like a sophisticated, classy thing to do. Anyway, they are pretty funny and also a little creepy. So I'm going to share those two. I just can't help it. If you want to feast your eyes on that craziness, head on over to Instagram and I'm going to post a lovely visual companion piece for you. Just promise not to tell my parents. Um, So there you go. I had no idea what we were gonna talk about today and now we've gone from our love language to Texas Chainsaw to VC Andrews and my childhood portraits, what a day. What a life. Oh, aside from fun and spontaneity and just reveling in everything that we love around Halloween, one of the things that I wanted us to experience and cultivate over the course of these 31 days is Halloween magic and miracles. I called it "miracles" for a reason, aside from the punniness, and I didn't even know exactly what that meant at the time, but that was one of my intentions. Halloween miracles or synchronicities or whatever are going to show up as we say yes to this process. So if any of that is happening for you, you'd better tell me. I'm going to continue to keep my eyes open for some fearicles, and we'll talk again tomorrow. Bye. This show is an Unreliable Narrator production. For more information, visit unreliablenarrator.org.